Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, this morning, I'm excited about sharing the message that God has given me. Well, I titled my message this morning, and maybe you think it's an interesting title, but I wanted to make it very specific and very focused uh, this morning, and, it, and the title is, Am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? This is very specific to you this morning. This is not for you to think about somebody else who's in here or sitting next to you and judging whether they're a Christian or not. This is a question for you. Am I a Christian? And don't discard what I'm going to say this morning right off the bat if you think you are some hotshot Christian already, okay? Because you need, everybody here needs to listen to what I have to say. So don't answer that question until we're finished this morning with the message. Then you can answer the question. In fact, I'll ask you to answer the question in some fashion or another. So the question is, am I a Christian? Because that's a question that gets asked of people. Are you a Christian? How in the world do we answer that? It's easy for us sometimes just to say yes, but what does that mean when we say that? Well, I was looking at some statistics in, according to Pew Research, and we'll see some of these statistics, but basically 80% of America believes in God. So that's a broad term, do you believe in God? And 80% say, yeah, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when somebody says, I believe in God? And I believe that varies a lot. What God are we talking about? Are we talking about the God of the Bible or other gods? Because a lot of people believe in all kinds of gods or a higher power. And I'll talk more about this later. Only 56%, though, believe in the God of the Bible. So we're starting to narrow it down a little bit. This is just a belief again of America, belief. There's only 10% American population that don't believe in any higher power or any spiritual force at all. They just don't believe that exists at all. So it's only about 10%. Most people believe in something that's greater than them, higher power, spiritual force, God, whatever that might be. Now, 74% of people who claim to be Christians, they claim that, and and what they say is that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he loves everybody regardless of their faults. So this is 70% of people who claim to be Christians, they believe this about God. Now, even within Christianity, there's various views and opinions about who is God, how he operates, and what his characteristics, does he love, does he judge, Is he in control of everything that happens on earth? There's a lot of questions that people have, which we're not going to get into that today. But there are the Pentecostals, or maybe called charismatic people, those kind of people, who they put an emphasis on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's about 280 million of those people who identify that in the world, about 280 million people who say, I put emphasis in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in my Christian life. So this was a movement that was birthed, and none of us were alive back then, but the Azusa Revival down in Los Angeles back in the early 1900s. It was something birthed. The power of the Holy Spirit hit in an incredible way, and so this movement was birthed, and so many people have come into contact with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and has radically changed their life. People have been transformed because of this. I do want to make a statement, though, that going to church does not make you a Christian any more than you going out and standing in a pasture would make you a cow, okay? 
just because you go to church occasionally or feel like I, if I go to church, somehow I will get some extra points, going to church does not qualify you for or make you a Christian, okay? That's something we can get out of the way here. Now, most liberal denomination people, most of the secularists, public opinion, pollsters, all those people have a definition for Christian, which is pretty broad. It's just anybody who believes they're a Christian. Okay, well, that doesn't really add up to a whole lot. Well, that totals to about 75% of the population in the United States that they believe that. Okay, well, there's more to it than that. However, there are those fundamentalists or evangelical Protestants or ones who have an idea that those who are Christians are ones who would be called born again. Now, it's interesting because I remember as a kid back in the 70s, I heard that term a lot. Are you born again? And it just sounds funny, doesn't it? Especially for somebody who has no clue what that means because it's like, born again? What are you talking about? Born again. But there's something about what is born again. So approximately 35% of our country adopts or believes in this definition of being born again. So born again, basically, a born again Christian is someone who has repented of his or her sins and turned to Christ for their salvation. There's a repentance and a turning to Christ. That's kind of the definition of being born again. So about 35% of the population believe, okay, that's a definition for Christians. I want to read a portion of scripture in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are the evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, very interesting. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So this born again term obviously was way before the 70s. Jesus said this. So what is this born again? Starting fresh, starting new. It's not about remodeling or reshaping or fixing walls that are dilapidated in a building. It's going to the foundation and starting by rebuilding the foundation. This is what we're referring to being born again, starting fresh, starting new when we accept Christ as our Savior in our life. There's new principles in our life. It's a new beginning for us. It's not just trying to fix up something that's already broken without going to the foundation of it. It's the importance because that happens so often, I believe, in our walk that we see people who just kind of add something. They put a little glue on this or add a little something, think that'll help. That may be the fix for me. There's a new vision. There's new goals that need to happen. There's a new love. There's, everything's transformed in our life when we're born again, when we accept Jesus Christ. It radically changes us. It has to. The kingdom of God began as a grace message, a grace work. And so that we are under his grace, and that's a good thing to know that. But there is a leveling that has to take place in our life. There's a starting over. There's a starting fresh. We cannot just try to fix something that's broken. It has to start again. It has to have a fresh new start. So verse 4, Nicodemus, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That question. Born again, what, going back in my mom and coming out again? That seems ridiculous. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. 
So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. We're talking about what we had today, the communion, the cross. He had to be lifted up on a cross. He had to be placed there. He had to die in order for us, in order for you and I to have eternal life, for us to become Christians. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone, everyone who believes. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That's good. You're not being judged if you believe in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. That's the key right there. That is a key. People love the darkness more than the light. That's why it is so critical and so important that it's complete transformation. When our life is filled with darkness and then we try to mix, we can't do it. We can't mix it. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. For fear, their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. We get so fearful and so caught up in what people might think of us or what we think. But God's just saying, simply come to me and allow me to do the work. Because we always think we have to help. So if we're not born again, we can't receive the comfort of God's kingdom. We cannot be in his family if we're not born again. We can't expect any of the benefits that Christ has for us, the eternal life, all those things. In Titus 3, 4 through 7, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, born of water and of the Spirit giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, everybody say, his grace. His grace, grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. It's his grace, his grace. I want to give you just really quick some definitions of a Christian that could be perceived and acceptable by some. Some of it may be fun, some of it's just... So someone who goes to church is generally a good person. That's a perception of a Christian. Someone born into a Christian country or to Christian parents, just kind of this assumption that, oh, that's acceptable. Or someone who votes only for conservative Republicans. (laughs) Just throwing in. All of these things that people have these concepts and ideas that would make them a Christian somehow by osmosis or just because they did something a certain way. 
The census offices, most dictionaries, mainline liberal Christians, and media generally accept as Christians any group that seriously, thoughtfully identifies itself as a Christian. So it can be just lumped into anything. The term Christian means belonging to Christ. And it's derived from the Greek noun Christos, which means anointed one. Belonging to Christ. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You've given that up. You belong to Christ. There's a starting over. Like I said, there's a tearing down of the old and there's a rebuilding of the new on a new foundation. One whose lifestyle reflects the teaching of Christ. They're not inconsistent by living a life of sin off and on. There's something you reflect the teaching of Christ in your life. It was in Acts 11:26 where the first we see the first reference to believers being called Christians in the Bible. We see that in Acts 11:26. I want to give you some definers of a Christian. Number 1, you realize that you're a sinner and you recognize your need for God. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you. Simple. Okay, there's one. Number 2, repentance for your sins. Because there's something that needs to take place. Not only do we believe something, but we have to repent. We have to turn from something. We recognize, we realize, and we repent. And number three, allow Jesus Christ, this is important, not only to be your Savior, but to be your Lord. We make him our Savior when we say yes to him on the day of salvation. We say, Lord, come into my life. Cleanse me of my sins. I want you to be my Savior. That's the start, and that's a great start. Because by faith, you accepted that. By grace through faith, there's grace that came into your life. He wiped the slate clean. Now, what happens from here? You don't just go walk back into what you were doing before and the life you were living before and expect that somehow everything's going to be good for you. This is where you need to make him Lord, which means you come under his leadership, his guiding. You come under his umbrella instead of yours. Your umbrella now is gone. So what happens is when we come under his umbrella and all of a sudden we decide, I don't like that umbrella, and we try to run back, there's nothing for us except destruction. The fourth thing is that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our daily life. We see this, and we'll read it in a few moments in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering. These are things that need to be evident in our life. They're not all going to be evident all the time, 100% of the time. But there has to be evidence that these things exist in our life, that we love people, that we're patient, that we're kind, that we have long-suffering. Those are the challenges, being kind. All these things, they're fruit of the Spirit. And understanding the grace of the gospel is so important. Understanding the grace of the gospel. Because a judgmental spirit is a religious spirit. If If we start being judgmental to other people, and trying to call them out for something we believe that they shouldn't be doing or should be doing, that's just a religious spirit. Everything happens, it's birthed on the grace gospel that comes. And we have to understand that there's, God's taking us somewhere in our life. Grace is there, but grace isn't the end goal for us. He wants us to walk in truth, but we know that grace is there for us as we stumble because we're human beings, we do. But our objective is to please our Father our Savior, and Him to be our Lord. I was thinking about this. When Jesus brought grace into the equation, it had to be so hard for the religious leaders of those days to come into alignment with that. Because for them, it was all about being judgmental and following the law. 
and making sure you did this and this and this. And if you didn't do this, what's going to happen? And Jesus came in and kind of wiped that out. He came to fulfill it, really. But he came to the cross and he brought this grace message to us. And it's so hard for people who are religious and judgmental to come under that grace gospel. But we have to come under that grace gospel and understand that. And believe, the word believe, we see in John 3.16, which we read through that. What does believe mean here in this portion of scripture? So I just have to believe to be saved? That's all I just, oh, I believe. Yes, but the context of what this is in this scripture is very important to us. What believe here in the context is to be firmly persuaded of something, to be totally committed to one's spiritual well-being in Christ, and to have a firm conviction. It's not just believe, oh, I believe in God, or yeah, I believe. No, that you have to jump all in on this. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Well, the believe part is all in. If you had extra finances that you put into a 401k or something, they teach you to diversify, don't they? You put here, little here, little there, little. It's not that way in the kingdom. It's all in, all in one basket. You put all your chips in. I'm totally 100% committed to this. There's no diversity in his kingdom. It's all in. In the world, we're taught everything about diversity, right? In society, it's all about in the kingdom. It's not about that. You're all in. And if we're not all in, we get messed up because we're going back and forth trying to figure out how do we live in this world and in this world? How do we do it? That's why it's so important when we believe, this verse believe, you're all in. You're committed 100%. Doesn't mean you won't mess up, that you won't make bad decisions, whatever. But you're in because you're saying, Lord, not only did I make you Savior, but I want you to be Lord. And so when things happen, God, you help me. You correct me. You bring your grace. But God, you're leading me down this path of eternal life. Our spirit will live forever. This, like I said earlier, our bodies here on earth, they're going to die. And if we live for sin, we're done. <laughs> we're done. And there is no eternity with Jesus Christ, if that's what our end goal is. As the name believer points to the personal commitment of Christians to Jesus. There's a personal commitment that each one of us have. We're not called merely to believe something, but to give ourselves to someone, and that's Jesus Christ. We don't say, well, yeah, I believe in God, or yeah, I believe in Jesus. It said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That word on is interesting. That means you're putting it, everything on that. Everything, everything is on that, your life. You're committing and you're giving all of that. It's like, oh yeah, I just, I believe in that. But you never go, you never make that commitment. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe in that person. Romans 8, starting in verse 1. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ. Come on, you need to know that. Yes. No condemnation for you. You belong to Christ. If you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, you belong to him. And if you haven't accepted him, that's coming for you. Yes. It's coming for you because he wants that and he desires that. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We don't want to go that way. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. 
who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. That's non-Christian. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. That's Christian. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. That's non-Christian. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's Christian. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. That's non-Christian. Where are we at? But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. There's a question you need to ask yourself. Is the Spirit of God living in me? And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. This is Bible. This is in the Bible. Sometimes people say, Pastor, you can't preach stuff like that. That's hurtful. You're going to drive people away. No, God, everything about God is bringing people to Him, and it's His grace at work, and He loves people. He's just telling you this is the facts and this is how it is. The reason he exposes darkness for what it is is because of how important the light is for us and where we're going and what he wants for our future. He said, that is not good, that is good. And so we need to know that. And he's telling us here, he's warning us, he's letting us know everything we need to know about a decision that we're about to make. He says, I'm not going to trick you anything. I'm not going to sugarcoat. I'm not going to backdoor you on this thing. Because the last thing we need to hear is when we get to heaven is, ah, I was just kidding. You're not in. Wait a minute. No, he lets us know right here. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I love that. As Christians, as believers, knowing his spirit lives in us. Come on, that's a good thing. That means his spirit is going wherever his spirit goes, we're going there. He's with us. We're with him. It's a good plan. <laughs> the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Don't do it. Don't follow. There's no obligation. Yeah, Satan's on your shoulder telling you all the time, yeah, go do this, go do this, go do this. No, you have no obligation to do it. Don't do it because it leads to destruction. All right, that's what the word tells us. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. I like it. It's clear. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Continue to ask yourself, The question, am I a Christian? Does the Spirit of God live in me? Let's jump to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. I like freedom. That's good. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us do that? First of all, how many of us love God? That's a good question. And then do you love those people around you like God loves them? Because that's important. If we don't, we can't call ourselves followers of Christ. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
He's a guide. Let him guide. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Here's the deal. Honestly, because it's talking about our sinful nature craving to do stuff. There are things that are ungodly, things that we have born into sin that we see as fun or enjoyable. Our human nature sees that. But God is telling us, don't go after those things because they are maybe for a moment they're satisfying, but they do not last. They lead to destruction, and he's telling us that. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. I don't know about you, but I want what he desires for me. The desires that he gives us are so much better than our own desires. And when we begin to follow those things, that other stuff begins to fall off, and we no longer desire the sinful tendencies because we see something that is so much better. That's why it's so important to allow him to start the foundation all over for us. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Listen to this. When you follow desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Again, this is Bible. I'm reading you right out of the Word of God. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Living or practicing that type of lifestyle. I'm not to say that occasionally one of us doesn't stumble in some of these areas, and there's grace for that. But if we're practicing or living these kinds of things, those are things that we can see as evidence in our life. That won't get us there. We have to break free of that. And I truly believe this, that if we have a genuine conversion and transformation of our life, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is no way that we would ever want to go back and practice or live that kind of life because it's so, it's a dead-end death. It doesn't work. How many people have you seen that live those kinds of lifestyles? For a moment, they might think it's fun, but how many of you have you ever seen that come out of that going, man, I'm sure glad I did that? Nobody. It's Satan that is so deceiving that takes the drug addict who never started off that way, but slowly started by just dangling one thing and saying, just try this. It'll make you feel good. And guess what? It made him feel good. But his goal was not to make you feel good. His goal was to destroy you. And so you go downtown and you look in the alleyways and you look in the corners and you see people who are curled up in a ball from shooting up heroin who are at the very end because the enemy was able to get them all the way down that path. But God's grace is for them. It's for you. Some of you today, you were that person. And God's grace came, and he saved you out of that. You'd be the first person to say, I would never want that again. Never. Sometimes those experiences come into play to help us. And those aren't, God never intended for us to do that. But those are some of the things that help get us turned away from the evil and, and the death that the enemy loves to lay at our feet. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And guess what? There's no law against these. 
You cannot be in trouble, arrested, or convicted of anything negative for producing any of this kind of fruit. That's so freeing. And that's what it says, live in freedom. This is the kind of freedom that we need to live in, not in the freedom, not living in the destructiveness of the enemy that wants to take us down. We need to stand up and say, Satan, you're defeated, and you will not win in my life. We need to just take a stand. You cannot have my kids. You can't have my grandkids. You can't have my parents, my brothers, my sisters, whatever it is. Come on, we need to rally together. We need to stand with each other, and we need to come against the power of the enemy that tries to come and lie to us, to tell us about this deceptive, evil thing that's going on that the Bible is so clear. It says, stay away from this stuff. It's bad. Embrace the goodness of God, his spirit that lives in us. The sinful nature is responsible our sinful nature for the breakdown of personal relationships, for the breakdown of the family, for the breakdown of the home, the church, the society. Our sinful nature is very destructive. His nature is very healing and it produces life. All of those things that I read in the scripture, those who habitually indulge in these fleshly desires, fleshly sins, says will not inherit the future, the kingdom of God. I'm not saying those things to try to scare you, to fear you into anything. I'm just saying that the reason God puts these in his word is because he loves us so much and he wants us to be a part of his family. So to answer the question this morning, how confident are you that you can stand and say, I'm a Christian? What we read this morning, what we talked about this morning, man, I may stumble at times, but But I tell you what, my life is given and directed. I'm all in. My chips are all in. I'm 100% committed to the life of Christ and his plan for my life. Maybe you're here today and you've kind of dabbled in that a little bit. You've sort of kind of stepped your toe in there and said, yeah, I'm going to kind of see if this Christian thing is okay for me. And maybe you've pulled back and thought, I don't know, man, people haven't treated me very well. I mean, they're rejecting me, or I just didn't, I didn't feel like those people were very Christian to me. Maybe that's what's happened to you. Or, or maybe you, at one point, you were just all in, and then somehow the enemy was able to deceive you and kind of get you out of that. And you're just kind of wandering out around there somewhere trying to figure out, how do I get back in? How do I do this? Or maybe you've never experienced the grace and the love and the power of God in your life. Maybe you've never had. But this morning... I believe God is here to meet you, whatever your situation is. I don't preach these messages or just make these things up. These are things that I believe in seeking the Holy Spirit. He says, this is what I want. This is what I want. And it's because there's people out there who are hurting, who are dying, who are missing. His love is there so much. And he wants to reach out to you this morning. This is an opportunity for you to, just to, to, to make a decision to say, you know what? I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm all in. And we jump in and we accept his grace, his love, and his forgiveness because it's all there. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, run to him when we need him the most. Turn to him, his grace. His mercy is there. Don't believe the lies of the enemy who said, tells you that, that if you go do this Jesus thing that you're going to regret it. He regrets losing you because he's a loser. 
He's been defeated. We just need to accept that fact that Jesus has a better plan. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a song. But I want to ask you this morning, you need to answer for you and only you. Only you this morning. And if you're unsure about where you are, and it's okay to be unsure. Honestly, it's okay. Because today is your day. I believe God, every person that's here this morning, God already preordained for you to be here this morning. It's kind of cool how he cares about you. Individually cares about you. And as we sing this song, I just want to ask anybody here today, you're just saying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the, I'm not really sure. I'm on the fence, right? I've sort of dabbled or, or whatever your situation is. I'm going to ask you to be bold enough just to come up and join me up here because I want to pray for you this morning. We're going to solidify this thing once and for all. We're going we're gonna to see the enemy defeated in your life. And we're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit come and reside in you. And I'll tell you what, it's going to blow your mind when you find out the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. Let's sing this song. And I just, I ask, and I know there's people here today. You're right now, there's a tug of war going on inside of you. Do I do? Do I don't? Do I do? If that's you, then you need to be up here. Or you might be just going, man, man, that's me. And, and you need to come up here. Today is your day. And it's a good day. It's a good day. Amen. Let's sing. And I, and I just ask you just to come and join me up here. And I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 